and thank you for joining this week's podcast with the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams. In this week's message, the Archbishop shows us how to break limitations of your background as a believer. With unique revelation, the Archbishop shows the critical need for spiritual warfare prayers and how to overcome the enemy's restrictions to our next level. Join the Archbishop at this year's Global Prayer Work Summit from the 19th to the 22nd of July in Connecticut, USA. Register now at ndwministries.org. Know today that this is God's word of deliverance for you. Be encouraged as you listen. Four things you must be aware of. And there are many things we need to be aware of, but I just want to zero in on just four things you need to be aware of. Number one, your background. Tell somebody your background. Tell somebody your bloodline, your DNA. Yeah, where, where you come from, where you come from is very, very important. You can't ignore it because your background and where you are coming from determines your challenges, your battles, your successes, and your failures in life. The enemy will always make reference to your background and where you are coming from. And if you are not aware of these things, uh, the enemy can use it against you. And maintenance of ignorance is the advantage of your enemy. So you cannot be ignorant. The Bible says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. So you can be ignorant. Somebody say, I hear you. Come with me to Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, reading from the third to the fifth verse of Ezekiel, the 16th chapter. And say, thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy birth and nativity is of the land of Canaan. Even though you were born somewhere else, you are of a different native. You might live in Accra, but you are not a native of Accra. You are a native of a particular tribe in Ghana. Even though you live in Accra, you were born in Accra. Go ahead. Thy father was an Amorite. Turn to somebody and say, do you know you? Your father is an Amorite. <laughs> Tell somebody, you. Do you know your father is an Amorite? Even though you live in Accra and you went to the best of schools in, in the world, your father is an Amorite. Tell somebody, I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> Go ahead. And thy mother an Hittite. Tell somebody else, you, do you know your mother is a Hittite? Yeah. You look beautiful and handsome, but your mother is a Hittite. That is who your mother is. That is the reality of life. You might look any way you want to, but your DNA is your DNA. Go ahead. And as for thy nativity, in the day thou was born, thy navel was not cut. Mm -hmm. Neither was thou washed in water to supple thee. Mm -hmm. Thou was not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou was cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou was born. So, to summarize it and not to spend too much of time on it, 
It has to do with being disadvantaged from birth. Not being loved, not being accepted, not being wanted. You were in love. You didn't have attention. Nobody paid attention to you from your birth. It looks like everything went wrong when it comes to you, right from your birth. You didn't have the acceptance and the love that others have. Disadvantage before the race of life began. Okay, so I want to put it there to summarize it in that way. Another time we'll go into it in depth. When you look at my message on the patterns of the bloodline, it shows you different patterns when it comes to bloodlines, backgrounds of individuals. There were things that Abraham did in his time that became a pattern throughout the Abrahamic bloodline to the days of David, to the days of David, and coming down to Solomon. And it was a particular pattern and a particular weakness that was in the bloodline of the Abrahamic covenant. And it became a pattern from one generation to another generation to many generations. But we don't want to just dwell there, but you have to be able to have knowledge and revelation and understanding when it comes to the patterns of your bloodline. What prevails? What happens to the men and the women of your bloodline? Even though you are born again, it is the knowledge and the revelation of a particular patterns and what happens to the men and women from your bloodline and your background that gives you the advantage over that particular pattern. You need to know. You cannot be ignorant because ignorant will hurt you and give the enemy an advantage. We are not ignorant of his devices lest he gains advantage over us. So you can be ignorant. Now when you have the knowledge and you have the understanding and the revelation of a particular pattern or a difficulty in your bloodline, then you can go to the scriptures and superimpose and enforce what the word of God says you are over that particular pattern of your bloodline to exempt yourself from the consequence of that particular situation as it relates to your bloodline. Somebody put your hands together and say, I hear you. Somebody say, I hear you. Say it again. Say, I hear you. Amen. So it's very critical. It's important that you know you cannot be ignorant. Because if you are ignorant, you will walk carelessly and you will live aimlessly. You just live like, like somebody going nowhere. So you cannot be ignorant. Your background determines your warfare. Where you are coming from is very, very important. The next thing I want us to dwell on is your environment. Say your environment. Environment can mean a lot of things. Geographical location. But it means a lot of other things because your environment has a lot to do with what you become. There are environments that are, are anti-progress environment. Nothing works. Nothing grows. Nobody does well in that particular environment. Now you become a product of that environment or you change that environment and you change that environment by illumination. By revelation, by light. Because environment can be controlled by darkness. There are certain environments that are literally governed by darkness, ignorance. And it takes light to be able to break out of that environment. And to master that particular environment, you need to have light. You need to have illumination. Somebody say illumination. 
Come on, talk to me. Say illumination. Somebody say revelation. And if you lack insight, you lack light, you lack illumination, you can become a product of your environment. You cannot change an environment unless you have revelation, unless you have an awareness and understanding of that environment and what happens to the people in that environment. When you know what prevails in that environment, it gives you an advantage over the environment. But when you don't know, you become a product of that environment. And it doesn't matter what you carry, what potential and capacity you have. The environment can limit and restrict you. I'm telling you. So environments are very powerful. Come with me to the book of Matthew chapter 15 verse 3 to 6. Matthew 15, 3 to 6. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Tradition. Tradition. There are traditions in environment. Geographical location. And traditions are very, very important. And they're very powerful. It, traditions are cultures. Cultures that control society. And, and there are elders who are custodians of certain cultures and traditions that will go to every extent to enforce those cultures and traditions. They will superimpose it on you. It doesn't matter who you are and where you've come from. They will make sure that you are governed and controlled by those traditions and cultures because they are the custodians of those traditions and, and customs that have come from one generation to another. And they will make sure that it doesn't matter who you are and irrespective of what you carry, you'll be subject to a particular condition, traditions, and culture because they are the fathers who control those particular cultures and traditions. And those customs and traditions can make the word of God of none effect. It can undermine the potency and the integrity of the word of God. Somebody put your hands together and say, I hear you. Go ahead. For God commanded saying, honor thy father and mother, mm -hmm. and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Mm -hmm. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the, command, the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You see, so he's saying that as powerful as the word of God is, there is something called tradition of the fathers that can undermine the integrity and the efficacy and the power and the potency of the word of God. Yeah. Tradition. Go to 2 Corinthians 10. Look at the fifth verse of 2 Corinthians 10 of the fifth verse. He said, Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. So there are high things, high things, and a tradition, the traditions of the fathers, a particular custom and a tradition in geographical locations, in backgrounds, can exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Why the knowledge of God? The Bible didn't say education. It didn't say intellectual capabilities or brilliance. 
He said the knowledge of God. Because the knowledge of God is key. The knowledge of God gives you the key and the audacity to lock and to unlock. When you have key, you don't knock at a door, you open. When you don't have a key, you'll be stuck behind a door because you don't have a key to unlock it. I declare from today, you will never be stuck in life. You will never be stuck behind any door of life. That any door you need in life shall open to you or their own accord. In the name of Jesus, if you believe it, put your hands together and say yes. The enemy's target, his greatest target in your life and in my life is not your health. It's not your money. It's not your reputation. It's the knowledge of God you have. If he can undermine your knowledge of God, if he can discredit your knowledge of God, you have nothing and you are nothing. Because the knowledge of God gives you an advantage and the upper hand in this life. For the entrance of thy word giveth light and understanding to the simple. One of the greatest kings that ever lived by the name of David, King David, a man after God, God's own heart, said something the other day. He said, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There is something about the knowledge of God. And so when the enemy comes after you, he doesn't come after your intellectual capabilities. He comes after your knowledge of God because as long as you have knowledge of God, you have everything. And you can have everything if you lack the knowledge of God. You have nothing. You have no use. You will live carelessly and walk aimlessly. You can have all the wealth of this world and still be nothing. Money is not everything. A lot of people think that life is just about having money. Money, 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 money. They think that is what life is all about. Life is more than money. There are people who have lived this world, lived this life, and have so much money, like the Bible says, what shall it profit a man to gain this whole world and lose your soul so you can have all the wealth and everything that life offers, but without the knowledge of God, you are a lost soul. You are a lost soul. Your purpose for coming to this world is not about making money and enriching yourself and your family. It's not about the best school you attended. If you just live your life by your natural senses, you are to be pitied among all men. Some lady said to me the other day that I don't understand the scriptures and when I read the Bible, I get confused. And I said it takes a confused person to be confused by the Bible. Because the Bible is a very simple book, but it's also a spiritual book. You can't make sense of the Bible with your natural senses. It takes developing your spirit. It takes developing your spirit to be able to understand the Bible. God will illuminate. God will illuminate your natural senses through your spirit man. Proverbs 20, 28. For the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So if God is going to illuminate and educate you when it comes to the scriptures, it takes spirituality. So you must invest time in spiritual things. You must pay attention 
to spiritual things in order for you to have understanding because the Bible said God is a spirit and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. God is not intellect, nor logic, nor a philosophy or a philosopher. God is a spirit. Man has a spirit, lives in a body and have a soul. You need to understand that you can't make sense of God nor the scriptures by your natural senses. You cannot live by your natural senses. Somebody asked me a question the other day. We had a meeting in the tent. And the tent was packed. And they had prayed for an hour before I came in. But when I came in, I took over the microphone. The Spirit of God made me aware through my spirit. I didn't hear a voice. But an awareness came unto me. And this was the awareness. Lift up your eyes. Look to the right side of the tent. And when I did, I saw an individual. And the spirit made me aware that something was wrong with that individual. And this was how I knew it. I didn't see anything. I was agitated in my spirit. I felt a discomfort in my spirit. And then suddenly, I was angered or vexed in my spirit. And as soon as I felt that discomfort and agitation inside of me, I knew that something was wrong with that individual. But I couldn't make sense of what I felt inside of me, but I knew something was wrong. So I confronted this individual and I said, who are you? What are you doing here? You don't have to be here. I said, this is a gathering for the bishops, the pastors, elders and dicknesses. Are you one? She said, no. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I don't know. I just came here. And I said, security, get her out. And as soon as they took her out, the unrest, the agitation, the uneasiness in my heart, in my spirit was lifted. It lifted. I was in a meeting some time ago in London over a transaction that was going on. Everything about the deal made sense. The guy was articulate. Everything about his background was legit. And everybody was impressed about the meeting, including myself. But there was something inside of me that wasn't at peace with the whole deal. And someone asked me after the meeting, Papa, what do you think about the meeting? I said, everything made sense. But something is not adding up. And he said, but what is it? I said, I can't put my finger on. But inside of me, I have this discomfort. I feel an unrest, an agitation, an anger inside of me. I cannot explain and make sense of. And my natural senses cannot apprehend or comprehend it. If you are one that lives with your natural senses, you will be limited and restricted by life. You cannot live by your natural senses. You cannot live by this mind. You can't. Because the mind is limited and restricted to how far it can go and to what it can make sense of.
The knowledge of God is what is at stake. The enemy don't want you to have knowledge of God. He doesn't want us to maintain our knowledge of God. It will do everything to undermine your knowledge of God. It will question, it will raise an objection to everything you know about the knowledge of God to tell you something contrary and something different. When he came to the Garden of Eden, the first thing he did was to question the knowledge of God's word with Eve and said, did God say what he said? God didn't say what you think he said. He undermined the integrity and the efficacy of the knowledge of God with a woman. And when she yielded and gave in, she compromised. And that was how the adversary came in. Come with me. Second Peter, I'm sorry. Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1, 3 to 4. According as, According his, as his, divine nature, his divine power has given, has given unto us all things. That what things? All things. Talk to me. What things? All things. Say it again. What things? All things. All things that what? Pertain unto life unto and godliness. Life and godliness. Uh -huh. Through the knowledge Through of what? him. Through what? The knowledge of him. Talk to me. Through what? The knowledge of him. Talk to me. Through what? The knowledge of him. One more time. Through what? The knowledge of him. So you and I have been given provision. Provision. Whatever you are now requires to live a life lacking nothing, wanting nothing, has already been made available through the knowledge of God. So when the enemy comes after your knowledge of God, what he's coming after is the provision that God has made available to you as it pertains to life and it pertains to godliness to deprive you, to deny you of the provision when you have the knowledge of God, you have access to everything, when you have the knowledge of God, you will lack nothing and you will want nothing so the enemy is after your knowledge of God, go ahead look at it through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue uh huh whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, uh -huh. that by these ye might be partakers of the exceeding divine nature. Exceeding what? Great and what? Precious, precious what? promises. He wants you to lack that knowledge of the exceeding great and precious promises. He wants you to live without the knowledge of what God has promised you and I to be ignorant of what God has promised us. And when you become ignorant of what God has promised and has in stock for you, it doesn't matter the school you attended. It doesn't matter your intellectual capabilities and knowledge. It's just a matter of time. You have nothing to offer when the adversary comes after you. It takes the knowledge of God to be able to stand your ground and stand the enemy. Hear me. When the devil came after Jesus, Jesus did not Refer the enemy to knowledge or to philosophy. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't talk to the devil about intellectual capability, brilliance, or smartness. I was telling somebody the other day that the difference between this generation and the generation before this generation is this. That this generation, they are smart. They are brilliant. But they are not wise. Because knowledge makes you smart. Knowledge 
makes you brilliant. But wisdom makes you wise. And wisdom doesn't come to the best of schools. One attends. Wisdom is a product of the fear of God. And wisdom is the ability to use and apply the knowledge you have skillfully, wisely, and intelligently. So you can have knowledge, but if you lack wisdom, you don't know how to use and to apply and to use that knowledge. It takes the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is a product of the fear of God. If you don't fear God, if you have no reverence, and you have no respect, and you have no value for God, you never have wisdom. So you can have knowledge, but you can't use it. You have a car. You can't drive it because you don't have a license. Is anybody clapping? Are you clapping somebody? Hallelujah. Somebody say, I hear you. So the Bible says, casting down imaginations and any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are imaginations. There are thoughts that the adversary will send into your mind. Because that is the battlefield. You start having strange thoughts. You start having strange imaginations. You start imagining things and thinking things that are not you. And you know that this is not my mind. This is not me. Where is it coming from? The adversary is sending things into your mind to control you. This morning, I was tired. And my mind was telling me, you need to rest. My mind said, rest. You got to rest. You tell it. And I had to block it because as soon as my mind began to whisper to my subconsciousness that I was tired, that I have to rest, suddenly my whole body, my whole body became tired. I began to feel it in my body, my germs, every part of my body said, sleep. Rest. Archbishop, rest. You need rest, though. You have to rest. This lifestyle of no rest, it's not good, though. He started whispering and speaking. And the way it was going, I realized that if I don't block it immediately, it will take me to a realm where I can't define myself. And I said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Let the weak say I am strong. He renews my youth as the eagle. As my days, so shall my strength be. I have to counter the voice of the enemy with the word of God immediately. Say, I hear you. Listen, if you don't have the knowledge of God, you are to be pitied among all men. You can have all the money in this world. When the devil came to Jesus, Jesus didn't refer to how much money he had. He didn't talk to the devil based on intelligence or brilliance. He made reference to scripture. He, he took the devil to what was written. He said, he, he revealed, he gave to the devil the knowledge of God. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8. 
He took him to Deuteronomy 8. And all the three things he refers Satan to were all in Deuteronomy the 8th chapter. If he didn't have knowledge of those things, he wouldn't have overcome the devil. And the Bible said, and the devil liveth him for a season. If you want the devil to leave you, you must have the knowledge of God. Because this world is controlled by unseen forces. This world is dominated by what we don't see. What you see is temporal. What you don't see is eternal. Because spirits don't die. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. I see people with money, with brilliance, with intelligence, and I wear them. I wear them. And they are light as paper. Light. Carry no weight. Have no capability in the spirit. Anything can shake them and move them. The bite of a mosquito can finish them. They don't know how to deal with what controls this world. This world is not controlled by what you think this world is controlled of. The forces that control this world are unseen. You don't see them. Go to Ephesians 6.12. Look at Ephesians 3. These are the powers that control the world. Ephesians 6.12. We call them cosmic powers. For we wrestle, For we wrestle not, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. These are the powers that control against the world. Against powers. Powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Uh -huh. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Mm -hmm. These are, we call them cosmic powers. Buy my book entitled Binding the Strong Man. It tells you the job description. What every one of these persons do. These are persons but we call them persons without bodies. And they rule and govern through human beings. They work through human beings who are ignorant of who they are. And they work through your mind. They work through your imaginations. When the Bible talks about strongholds and the gates of brass and the bars of iron, he's not referring to some spirit hanging somewhere in the air. He's talking about mentality, mindsets, belief systems, attitudes, behaviors, patterns that have become a gate of brass in your subconsciousness, a bar of iron that you need to break through it, you need to break it off to be able to have a mind of possibility because you can be financially rich and have a poor lifestyle. You are rich financially but you are poor in your lifestyle and the way you live because you have a scarcity mentality. Your mind prevents you. A woman died in Europe. She lived in one bedroom and everybody in the community will feed every now and then and reach out to her. When she died, they realized that she was a more, more time millionaire. She had the money but she didn't know how to use it on herself because she had the scarcity mentality. To her, everything was make money, save money, don't spend. What a life. What a miserable life. Your environment can limit you. The traditions of the fathers. That was what limit Jacob. He saw Rachel. He fell in love with her. 
He wept when he saw Rachel. We won't touch that today, another day. That is for singles. What makes a man cry when he sees the love of his life? Another day for that. And he worked seven years for the woman he wanted. And he fell in love with. But the traditions of the fathers, the customs, and what prevailed in that geographical location, the mindset, the belief system of that particular place didn't allow him to have the love of his life. He has to work for another seven years to have the love of his life. It's another subject for another day. We're not touching that today. But I want you to come with me. Let's look at Mark. In Mark chapter 6, we're reading from verse 3 to 6. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and of Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor but in his own country, and among his own kin, and is in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about the villages teaching. You see, <clears throat> your background and your environment, as I said, matters. Because here was Jesus, known from that environment. He lived in, born in, as the son of a carpenter, the son of Joseph. But was he really a son of a carpenter? And was he Joseph? It's a contradiction. Because on one hand he was, on another hand he wasn't. He was a son of God. The son of Joseph was his humanity. The son of God was his divinity. He was known as the son of a carpenter. That was what he was known to be. They saw him as the son of a carpenter. And so it doesn't matter what he did. People had issues with it. There are people who used to know me years ago that when they are told that I'm a preacher, they can't believe it. They say, how can Nikki be? Nikki? I know Nikki. What are you talking about? I can tell you things about Nikki. There's a lady here, one of my spiritual daughters. I was talking to her the other day. And she said, my father said I should say hi. And his father comes to church. I don't, I don't remember him. And I said, who is your father? And he said, my father said I should say to you, no place, no place. And when I say no place, you will understand it. <laughs> and when he said, my father said, I should say hi. And when you ask me, I should say no place. And I said, who is your father? Send me his picture. And she said, well, I said, that, that word no place, 
Ain't nobody knows that word. It's people in the 40s, 50s, that, that word, no place. Just nobody knows that word. So send me his picture. When he sent me his picture, I really looked at the picture and he took me back many years and I said, those are the days of Wato and Kondola. Those are the days of Keteke and Apollo Theater and Tipto and Lido. No place. And the reason why they used to call me, but you can't make reference to that because I'm not no place. So don't even try it. Are you hearing me? Tell somebody, don't even go there. Don't even go there. Yeah. I used to be everywhere that there was no place in town you can't find me. I was everywhere. And so the word out there was no place. Every place, everywhere, he's there. So they call me no place. Are you hearing me, somebody? And the girl said, my father said, I should say no place is high. And when she said no place, I said, send me your father's picture. When I saw the picture, I said, okay. I know him. Are you hearing me, somebody? Say, I hear you. So the enemy is always going to make reference to what you used to be and he will object to what you are today. And that is what limits you. Are you hearing me? So if you go to Psalm 107 verse 2, the Bible said, let the redeemer of the Lord, whom he had redeemed from the hand of the enemy, do what? Say so. You got to tell the enemy, I'm a new man. I'm born again. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm not what I used to be. So don't even go there. Don't even try it. Say, don't even try it. Are you hearing me, somebody? So Jesus came to town. He was working miracles everywhere. But when he came to Nazareth, he couldn't perform miracles. The people saw him and said, you, what are Jesus, you, son of the carpenter. You working miracles? You carpenter, son? You a carpenter? Please give me a break. Give me a break. Don't go there with me. I know who you are. So your, your environment matters. It can restrict. It can limit. It can undermine your potential. Your new image. Where you are going. It will remind you of who you used to be. Where you used to be. And say, don't even try it. You are still what you used to be. Look, look into my eyes. Tell me you don't miss me. Tell me you don't feel me. Come on, tell me. Look at me. Face me. Look into my eyes. I'm looking at you. Tell me. Tell somebody, your environment matters. Now, Jesus was God made flesh. And if his environment could limit him, could restrict him with all the powers of the heavens above and the, the, the world to come, if his environment could limit him, who do you think you are? Turn to someone and say, who do you think you are? Are you hearing me, somebody? So Jesus was limited, was restricted to what he could do because of the perception they had of him and who he was before. To them, they've never seen him perform wonders and miracles. 
They knew him as a carpenter's son. And as a carpenter, then suddenly you come on the scene and say, I'm born again. Performing miracles. What kind of a miracle? You? Are you hearing me, somebody? I told you when I got born again, I was in church. One time I saw an old girlfriend of mine. She had come from Germany to the church I was attending, Church of Pentecost. After we went around giving the offering, I saw her. And I said, Satan, what are you doing here? She said, I came to check and verify if you are truly born again. She said, Nikki, look at me. Look at me, Nikki. Look into my eyes. Have you really changed? You? You really born again? I said, yes. She said, oh, I see. We will see. She's been waiting to see. Are you hearing me, somebody? Say, I hear you. Let, 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 me, let me take you a little deeper, okay? Let me take you a little deeper. Come with me to Mark 8. Mark 8. 3 to 6. Mark 8. Mark 8, 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him. He took what? He took him out of town. He took him where? Out of town. Another translation said out of the village. Village, NIV. Are you hearing me? NIV. You see, I live in Accra. And we are the Spintex Road. But the town is not the Spintex Road. The town is somewhere else. And I haven't been to town for a long time. But I live in Accra. Jesus said, young man, the source, the cause, and the reason for your blindness and your inability to have the mind of possibilities and to see the possibilities around you, the reason why you are veiled and blind and can't see your way through in life has everything to do with your geographical location. Your environment has blinded you. Because no good thing comes out of that environment. And as much as Bethesda was a cursed place, that, that environment was a cursed place. And it's difficult to function in an environment that is cursed. An anti-progress environment. He had potential, but his environment had blinded him. And Jesus said, I can't touch it where you are. I can't change your thinking, your perception of life. I can't help you. I can't leave this thing off in the very place that made you blind. I got to take you out to make you whole. Go ahead. And, in, and when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands upon him and asked him if he could see aught. Mm -hmm. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. You see, even though Jesus took him out of the environment that made him blind and touch him, somebody said, the master's touch, the master's touch. Oh, talk to me. Say, the master's touch. Even with the touch of the master, his perception of people was still wrong. There are people in this life, they just don't see anybody right. They're critical of everybody. Their perception of man is different. They see men differently. Everybody is wrong. Don't see men right. Even with the touch of the master, he shall men as trees walking. And Jesus said, you need a second touch. 
Somebody lift up your hand and say, Master. Master. Say, Master, Master, I need a second touch. Go ahead. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. Uh -huh. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Some of you need restoration. He restored my soul. He led me beside the still waters. You can't come by the still waters until your soul is restored. I pray today, hearing the sound of my voice, that whoever you are, wherever you are in life, that God will restore your soul. If you believe it, put your hands together. Shout yes. Go ahead. And he sent him away to his house saying, uh -huh. Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. You see, you see, this town or village means many things. It means a geographical location. It means a habit. It means a mindset. It means an attitude. It means pressure, influences, friends. It means a lot of things. It means society, a particular kind of friends and societies. And Jesus said, you come out of a particular friendship, a particular mindset, an attitude, lifestyle, habits. And Jesus said, don't go back to it. You used to lean on a sugar daddy to provide for you and get you everything you needed. And Jesus said, I've set you free by lifting the veil. I've given you vision so you can live for something. A dream to live for. Uh -huh. I, I, I've shown you the way I've given you life. Jesus said, you'll be tested, you'll be tried. Uh, uh, Sometimes things will happen to tempt you to go back to that kind of a lifestyle. But Jesus said, don't go back to that sugar daddy or sugar mama. Don't go back to that lifestyle. Don't go back to that habit. Don't fall back to that kind of friendship and influence that held you at ransom before I gave you sight and vision and life. Don't go back. Tell somebody, don't go back. Don't go back. Come on, talk to me. Stand on your feet one minute. Walk to two people. Tell them, don't fall back. Don't fall back. Just walk, walk to two people. Tell them, please don't fall back. Don't fall back. We know you are blessed by that word of God and look forward to you joining the messages of the Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams again. For more information on our events, books and messages, please visit NDW Ministries online at www.ndwministries.org or call our offices on plus one eight seven seven. Three six one five one one one. Once again, thank you for joining the Archbishop today, and may you continue to experience the life transforming power of God's blessings.